0: A tale that, although shocking, has been heard all too often before. Caregivers who not only abuse their roles, but fail to live up to them too. A little girl left to fend for herself. A system and society that failed her. Two years old with an entire future ahead of her. Two years old and dependent on those whom she was supposed to trust. Two years old and a life cut short. This is the heart-wrenching case of Siobhan Rush. Hello and welcome to Murder and Mayhem, a South African true crime podcast hosted by me bala monsoon murder and mayhem is the first trauma-informed true crime episodic series in south africa that explores real life crimes from a psychological viewpoint hosted by a mental health professional every week via video format online the official bala monsoon youtube channel as well as audio format via the podcast a new case is examined and together we delve headfirst into the meanings and motives that drive people to do what they do join me on a weekly expedition into the mind behind the macabre as we traverse murder, mayhem, and much more. Just a quick disclaimer for today's episode. Today's narrative contains material citing the murder and abuse of a minor. As always, I mean absolutely no disrespect to the victim nor their family. The purpose of this video is to shed further light on the heinous crime that was committed while spreading awareness about the psychological nature of the narrative. This episode has been thoroughly researched by myself and includes, where available, real-life accounts, footage, and images of individuals involved directly in the case. So, without further delay, let's get into it. Our narrative today centers around a beautiful little girl who was brought into this world in 2019. But to truly understand her and her life, we need to understand a little bit more about the people who brought her into this world. Rochelle Borte grew up in Johannesburg and attended Primrose High School. Life was pretty normal for her growing up and over the years that followed, she would engage in an on-again, off-again relationship with Bradley Rush. Rochelle fell pregnant with Bradley's children in 2017, 2018 and 2019. Even though three children were born though, only one was registered with the Department of Home Affairs. The first child would go and live with a relative when she was only one and a half years old. Whilst she was there, Rochelle would give birth to her second child, but she would end up leaving Bradley for another man. In that time period, she wasn't really bothered with either of her children, which resulted in a relative whose identity was concealed by the court, becoming the guardian of both children. Her fling with the new boyfriend was short-lived, and after a few weeks, they had broken up. At this point in time, Rochelle and her mother had called upon this relative to get her two children back. With her kids in tow, she then began dating Bradley again, and the two, with their children, had gone to live with another relative in Germiston. They also approached the court and successfully managed to set aside the court application that was set to place the children permanently in the care of the relative who had been looking after them for the past few months. In hindsight, an incredibly sad turn of events. Rochelle, despite the circumstances she was in and her inability to cope with the children she already had, fell pregnant once again in 2019. On the 28th of October 2019, Siobhan avril Rush was brought into the world. Siobhan would later affectionately be known as Vani by her family members and was often described as the love of the family. She grew up loving music and dancing and, even at her young age, was always acting silly and joking. So as I previously stated, at this point in time, Rochelle and Bradley were living together at another relative's home with their son as well as Siobhan. Both adults were unemployed at the time, with Bradley finding work here and there, working occasionally, and Rochelle never having worked a day in her life. So you may be wondering where the firstborn, her eldest daughter, was during all of this. Well, She had gone back to live with the original relative who had basically raised her. And this yo-yoing, moving, back and forth, children coming and going lasted for a few years. That was until Bradley was arrested in April of 2021. He ultimately would end up spending a year in prison. I won't go into any further details regarding that as it has not very much to do with this current case in the sense of being involved directly in what would happen. During this period of time, whilst he was away, Siobhan and her brother were living with Rochelle and her family and her eldest daughter, as I mentioned, was living with his family. Also, during this time, most importantly, around two months into his prison sentence, Rochelle would meet and begin to date Cornelius Stefan Fadiker. She was only around 21 years old at the time. He, however, was older than her, in his 30s, and he was from Walkerville. And yeah, it was around this point where things started to decline rapidly. After an incredibly short period of time, I'm talking days and weeks, not months, the pair decided to move in together to a large cargo container absolutely nothing wrong with that but they then decided to go and fetch Siobhan's brother Rochelle's secondborn, who was staying with Bradley's family at this point and bring him to live with them for some reason they thought that this was a great idea around this point in time Siobhan as well as her older sister the firstborn were living with relatives with Rochelle being able to see them on weekends although she was allowed to see them every single weekend, she later requested an amendment to see them only every second weekend, as she stated that having all three children with her together over the weekend was just too much for her. Yeah, I kid you not. Then, by the 10th of July 2021, just a mere three months after Bradley exited the picture, the pair were engaged. It was consistently stated that when Stephen Funny Kadek entered the picture, the abuse of the children began, with bruises being noticed and strange behaviours being developed. If you know much about childhood development, you will know that change in behavior that is incredibly drastic is usually an important signal that something untoward may be going on. Another witness in the later court case would state how she had met Siobhan in 2021, when she had visited friends who were relatives of Stefa. Despite the cold weather at the time, the little girl was in shorts and a short-sleeved shirt, barefoot, without a diaper or underwear. She also allegedly had a burnt and swollen upper lip and had apparently complained that her area and her legs were burning and sore. When the couple, Rachelle and Stefan, had been questioned, they had apparently said that Siobhan had just fallen. The witness had then made the decision to take this little girl home, as she was in a terrible state. And yes, I know that is a risky thing to do, especially with the different legalities around children at play, but here's the kicker. After being informed of this, Rachelle had immediately agreed, without having even met, the individual who had her child. Obviously, this woman had good intentions, but this is not necessarily the day and age to be trusting random strangers with your children. Later, Rochelle would claim that the couple was so busy and distraught, looking for Stefan's brother who had gone missing, that they weren't in the right frame of mind to even compute what was going on. And in case you were wondering, yes, Stefan's brother was allegedly missing and he was found too. Regardless, Siobhan continuously shouted for her mother that night, refused to bath, but eventually drank a bottle of milk and fell asleep in this woman's arms. The next day, this woman let her watch TV with her own toddler and gave her a pacifier and some yogurt. During this time, she would also take photos of the little girl's bruised face, sending them to Childline, South Africa, who had promised to investigate the matter. Siobhan would end up spending three days with this woman. Eventually, unfortunately, but inevitably, she returned to Rochelle and Stefan. It didn't appear that much came of that complaint to Childline. Well, not that I could find anyways. It was only almost a year later in February of 2022, when the policing forum in Germiston first heard about Rochelle and her children. This had come about after her family had contacted them, stating that Rochelle was being held against her will, tied up and mistreated by, of course, none other than Stefan. When an individual was sent over to the home, Rochelle had denied every single claim, stating that her family were making up stories in order to worm themselves into her relationship and life. She had even called the policing forum directly to arrange a visit, just days before Siobhan was murdered. During this visit, she had stated that Stefan was a good man who had never harmed her children. She had said, And I quote, I can promise you that I will kill him before he kills me. At the visit, Rochelle had no obvious injuries to her body and coincidentally, the children were not home at the time. The relative who had been looking after Siobhan's eldest daughter, who basically raised her, had complained to the police weeks before her death and was unable to gain access to see both Siobhan and her brother. The four had basically disappeared. They had gone under the radar with no no one knowing where they lived and them dodging every single attempt to reunite Siobhan with her sibling. The last time the relative heard from Rochelle was at 2am on the morning of Siobhan's death when Rochelle had texted her. Oh, don't stress, it's fine. This was in response to an earlier message where Rochelle stated that she wanted to know something from the relative. The relative had then tried to phone her to have a telephonic conversation. However, Rochelle had not answered. This same relative would later hear the heartbreaking news about Siobhan. And when she had questioned Rochelle over what had happened, Rochelle had simply stated, and I quote, I am very sorry. After Siobhan's death, multiple versions of the events that transpired on the day would be shared by Rochelle herself. In one scenario, she was tied up and detained by Stefan before he eventually took the life of her daughter. In another one, Siobhan had apparently slipped on a sponge, falling and injuring herself. And all of these stories began to circulate before she was even a suspect in this case. So by now, I'm sure you're curious as to what happened to this beautiful little girl. And to be able to answer that question, I'm going to be including information that was only divulged in a way later court case. But I'm sharing it with you now because it makes more sense in a chronological order. On the 11th of May, 2022, the lifeless body of Siobhan was dropped off at the Wannenberg Clinic in Clopper Park, Germiston, where she was pronounced dead. The man who had dropped her off had sped away immediately afterwards. Upon inspection of her tiny body, several bruises were noted. The clinic personnel had then called Primrose Police Officers. When they arrived, the nurses showed them the child, Siobhan, who had been brought in by a man thought to be her stepfather. The little girl was wrapped in a blanket, with blood in her mouth and bruises all over her body. She also had a wound at the back of her head. The post-mortem examination, along with evidence provided by the pathologist during the trial that would later follow, confirmed that the two-year-old suffered injuries from head to toe. There were a total of 49 bruises, abrasions, wounds and scars on the tiny toddler's body. According to the pathologist, Dr. Emifa Patu, most of the injuries were sustained within the span of a few hours to a day before her death, referred to as fresh wounds. The injuries were present on her face, skull, arms, abdominal wall, lower back, legs and feet. They believed that most likely the cause of death was from blunt force trauma to the head. And as though the news of her murder was not traumatic enough, especially for her father bradley and her family it would come to light that Shavon's birth was never registered so that had to be completed first before a death certificate could even be issued and trust me on this one if you're not South African. Most of the time, admin in South Africa that involves the government in any type, way or form is no easy nor quick feat to get done. And so, little Shavon's body lay for almost a month before she was buried. At her funeral on the 2nd of June, it would be said, and I've translated this from Afrikaans, and I quote, A child is a gift from God. The Lord gave us the special person to look after, not to destroy. At the funeral, Rochelle and Siobhan's father, Bradley, carried her small pink coffin into a chapel in Alberton. One of her favourite songs, Dance Monkey, played, as her coffin was placed at the front of the church. Ironically, it would be said by the pastor That one should trust no one with their children. And that parents should look after their children because they were given to them. Ironic because Rochelle was going undetected amongst all the fellow mourners. At the end of the service, friends and family released pink balloons into the air to celebrate the little girl's life. Now, I'm sure you're still a little confused as to who, where, when and what Actually, happened to Siobhan? Well, in this sordid narrative, the truth took a little while to come to the surface. But after the discovery of the bruises on the toddler's body, Stefan Fannikark was apprehended in Bedford View shortly afterwards. It would only be the day after Siobhan's death when Rochelle would indicate that Stefan had abused at least one of her children. This would come after his arrest. After his initial court appearance, he sobbed whilst looking down his face buried in his hands. He would appear again in court on the 25th of May when he was expected to apply for bail. On the day he arrived with a scarf covering most of his face, avoiding eye contact with everyone in the room. At this appearance, he also abandoned his bail application. At this very same appearance, Rochelle, although present, kept herself in the shadows, wearing a bulletproof vest and not engaging with angry protesters or members of the public. Rochelle was present at the court as protesters lambasted her calling her a bad mother and saying that she was guilty too. She ended up having to leave the court proceedings. A family friend of hers who identified herself on the day as Kayla would later state to media, and I quote, the drama outside was unnecessary and Rochelle was unable to attend the bail hearing with the crowd making it difficult for her to mourn her child's death. Oh, the irony of that statement and situation. And as I alluded to earlier, The truth slowly, but incredibly surely, seeped to the surface. Just a few weeks later, a whole lot would change, as Rochelle was arrested and charged with murder on the 22nd of August. Yep. You heard me correctly. This came about after external investigations into the case uncovered further information about the home and living conditions of Siobhan and her siblings. It also came to light that Rochelle was well aware of the alleged abuse and assault of her own child. The news of Rochelle's arrest was a further blow and a shock. To Bradley, who vehemently believed, as most do, that parents are supposed to protect their children. Bradley said his daughter died whilst he had been trying to get her back for more than a month. Came about after she had gone to visit her mother, Rochelle, for what was supposed to be just a weekend visit. He had said, and I quote, I think my daughter's death could have been avoided because she died while I was trying to get her back and was being taken from pillar to post. Rochelle's case was postponed to the 1st of September for her bail application, which carried over to the following week. During her court appearance, she was also told by the judge to change her clothing for future appearances as it was inappropriate for her to show up to the court in extremely short, tight training shorts. At this point in time, the We were facing not only charges of assault with the intent to injure, but also charges of rape, sexual assault, and a charge of human trafficking. And as you can only imagine, the public were outraged, initially at the actions of Stefan, but now more so at the potential involvement of the child's own mother in her demise. A Facebook group which had been started, A Voice for Siobhan, updated the general public on the court happenings and updates, gaining over 10,000 members within days of being created. Rochelle, on the other hand, turned to the comforts of an unknown male friend as she remained in custody until her next court appearance. After the extended bail application and the back and forth, Rochelle ended up temporarily abandoning her bid altogether. Stefan, who had been in custody since May, was set to appear alongside her on November 9th in front of the High Court. And so much more would come to the surface during this court case. And after what felt like it had been a lifetime since the little girl had passed, although by South African standards, it was fairly fast, shocker, the trial began in 2023. In another sad loss though, Siobhan's great-grandfather passed away just a week before her trial would begin. He had been there throughout the entire process, but he had deteriorated rapidly after learning about the toddler's passing. Devastated and more so shocked by the ever-changing turn of events. As more witnesses came forward and testified, including Rochelle's two children, who were six and seven years old at the time, the public and the investigative team learned about the stark and sordid reality of Siobhan and her siblings. Well, at least their life with Stefan and Rochelle that is two vital witnesses in particular who remained anonymous at the time due to a court order in place share the timeline of events that led up to the little girl's death and so, I'm about to share that with you. These witnesses had spent the day prior with the couple, Rochelle and Stefan. One of the witnesses' family members would state how upon seeing the pair that day, they noticed that Siobhan had a wound on her lip. When asked about it though, the couple had simply stated that she had fallen down the stairs. This despite the fact that the wound resembled a burn, similar to the shape of a glass pipe that is used to smoke crystal meth. The witness was quite steadfast in this belief as he often engaged in drug use with the couple with this very same kind of pipe. The little girl had also been in pain Bailey speaking. Later testimony within the trial would also allude to the abuse of one of Rachelle's other children. The baby boy, who had bruises on his arms, face and thighs. It would also come to light that a doctor had noted several injuries on his body. Thirteen, in fact. Some were days old, whilst others had healed months prior. These types of injuries were consistent with blunt force trauma to the head or a physical fight. As the evening wore on and the inhabitants of the home smoked meth, the little girl had approached these two witnesses asking for food and water. She was then sent to Rochelle as the witnesses did not want to smoke in front of her, but Rochelle did not want the child around, complaining as much to Stefan. And so the night progressed. The following morning dawned and the group had gathered in the kitchen, smoking and eating. Then Stefan had taken the little girl to bath. She had been screaming nonstop to a point where both witnesses had approached Rochelle to help the little girl. This came about after Stefan had argued that Siobhan was fine. The defence would later state that the only reason Siobhan was crying was because the water was cold. Rachelle, however, was apparently unbothered by her child's cries or their request for assistance and walked outside to go sit in the sun, paint her nails and light a cigarette. The crying in the meantime continued, continued until it suddenly went quiet. Stefan had then come running, running out of the bathroom, running to the bedroom and then the living room with the child in his arms, attempting to perform mouth to mouth resuscitation. Rochelle, barely bothered by the chaos that was ensuing in the house, had entered the home allegedly, observed the scene before returning back outside. One witness has then allegedly told Stefan to take the toddler to the hospital, picking her up and placing her in the vehicle. And her mother? Well, yeah, you guessed it. She refused to go along opting to stay at the home with the other witness. The very same witness who would see absolutely no change in the facial expression of Rochelle when she was later told on a phone call that her two-year-old little girl had died. At the time of her death, Shavon had only been in the care of Rochelle and Stefan for 40 days. Prior to that, of course, she had been living with Bradley's family. During the trial that took place, multiple different versions of what had happened to Siobhan that day would be heard. Three, in fact. And yes, in case you were wondering, I'm going to share those with you now. The first version of events involved Stefan being incredibly grumpy that day, as he had lost his job and was thus taking out his frustration on the little girl, especially after she had apparently spilt some water. After he had yelled at her for spilling the water, she had apparently wet herself in fear. He had then taken her to bath, but Siobhan had kept crying for her mother. Rochelle, however, casually left out the part where she ignored her child's crying. Eventually, the shouting had stopped and when Rochelle went to go and look and see what was going on, she came across the little girl, blue in the face. She then apparently attacked Stefan in the process falling on the floor. And then at some point, Stefan had put the child into his vehicle and taken her to the hospital. Version number two. In the second version, the one that was told to very many family members by Rochelle. Siobhan had apparently been in the bathroom when she had slipped on a sponge, fallen and in the process, she had hit her head. I'm assuming the story had ended with either Rochelle or Stefan finding her and subsequently Stefan rushing her to the hospital. And then of course, we can't leave out version 3. In this last version of events, Rochelle had walked in on Stefan strangling the toddler. When she had tried to intervene, he had then apparently tied her to a plastic chair in the yard, leaving a friend of his to watch over her. When Asked why she did not scream for help, she had no response. Also, on a side note, as the home had been searched after Stefan's arrest, the logs showed that there were no plastic chairs that had been found. Yeah, so that's that. Whilst Rochelle had multiple different stories though, Stefan on the other hand denied all the charges against him, constantly stating that he couldn't remember or didn't know when he was being questioned. He also went on to claim that he did not know about any of the wounds or bruises and marks on the child's body and she had just simply fallen down the stairs. And in case it was not bad enough, the indictment against Rochelle would also state that she allegedly allowed men to touch her children's private parts in exchange for access to drugs. The couple, together, also allegedly forced a child to smoke drugs. These charges all appeared within the charge sheets as well. At the trial, Rochelle would later give testimony having to stop at one point due to being too emotional. When she was questioned about how she did not see the injuries all over Siobhan's tiny body, she had responded that she did not know. She responded this way to many of the questions that were asked. She was also unable to state why she didn't send images or videos of Siobhan as requested by the little girl's grandmother or why she avoided allowing her back over to the relative's home. She also admitted on the stand that she used drugs but apparently never in front of her children. She did, however, divulge that Stefan had indeed burnt the little girl's mouth with the hot meth pipe as suspected by the witness. At the end of her questioning, Rochelle had an emotional outburst, shouting, and I quote, I didn't know. Next up on the stand was her ex-fiancé and partner in crime. Stefan, who as it was discovered had a previous conviction for theft as well as a breached parole history, appeared calm as he testified on the stand. He denied Rochelle's claims that he had tied her up and stated that he had taken Chavon to Bath after she had soiled herself. As he had laid her in the bath, she had allegedly began to breathe funny. He had then apparently given her mouth to mouth and a small amount of liquid had come out of her mouth, her little body twitching. He stated that the family had moved homes just a few days before her death and Siobhan had fallen down the stairs of their old house. Neither adult had apparently either checked to see if she was injured after that fall though. Stefan would also admit to using drugs, smoking tuck and marijuana. To many of the questions that he was asked, like his lover, he had responded that he did not know or he could not remember. Stefan would also admit to using drugs, smoking tuck and marijuana. When accused of physically abusing minors, he had insisted that hitting a child with his elbow was just a boxing game. And assaulting a minor because they broke a possession that belonged to his mother was completely validated. Yeah, I kid you not. Eventually, the trial drew to a close, and on the 17th of November, 2023, The judge, Annalene Africa, reached a verdict. She stated that Rochelle failed to fulfill her duties as a parent. Both individuals were found guilty of abusing, neglecting and murdering Siobhan, as well as guilty of rape with the involvement of another minor. In addition, there was also a guilty verdict in the lines of attempted murder, sexual assault and child abuse. The judge went on to state that the evidence indicated that the pair had lied during the trial in order to protect themselves. In the verdict that spanned four hours, a dark picture was painted of the heartbreaking conditions and experiences of Siobhan and her siblings, whilst with Rochelle. It was evident that Rochelle had a parental duty, which she failed to do. The judge had said, and I quote, her actions were those of a selfish person who did not care about the well-being of the children. Rochelle began to cry when she heard the verdict, whereas Stefan simply stared coldly ahead unflinching and expressionless. Rochelle had then shouted at him, and I quote, I hate you Stefan, do you see now? The friends, family and supporters, although relieved at a conclusion to the trial, were understandably emotional and traumatized after the events of the past months. Bradley, Siobhan's father, had left the courtroom at times when details of the abuse Siobhan experienced were spoken about. And so, what happens now? The pair will appear in court again next year on the 2nd of February, when the pre-sentencing report will be heard. I'll be sure to update the description or to include a mini-segment once the case is concluded. Oh, and in case you were wondering, Rochelle seems to be doing just fine in prison, as much as one can judge from the Facebook profile that was active up until a few months ago. She uploaded profile pictures with fellow inmates, smiling. The comments on these photos are also positive, coming from friends and family. I mean, I think we all know by now that... Having phones in prison is clearly a thing. So of course, without further delay, let's dive right into the mind behind the macabre. In my previous two episodes, I've discussed mothers who have taken the lives of their own children. I won't get too far into the cases now, but I will link them in the description if you are interested. The first I'm sure many of you would have seen by now was the narrative of Lauren Dickerson, who murdered her three young daughters. The second was of Ellen Parkes, who ended the life of her drug-addicted son. If you're interested, they both approached the psychological idea of murdering a child in two very different ways. These cases demonstrate the psychological concept known as felicide, the deliberate killing of one's own child. As I discussed in previous episodes, there are several roots for these horrific actions. This particular case, unlike the two previous ones, have roots in the murder being an accident, in the sense that the intent was to punish rather than kill. Rochelle was at best an absent mother, more interested in pursuing other men, drugs and fun than looking after the children that she brought into this world. Many will also state that because she was such a young mother, it was almost to be expected. However, in 2023, there are so many young parents who are doing amazing jobs and focusing all the attention on their kids. So, I'm not sure if we can still place that level of emphasis on age in this regard. It does, however, appear that she was not emotionally mature enough to be able to look after her children. Add to that an unhealthy relationship with an unstable man, as well as the use of drugs, and well, it just kind of spells disaster. As she was younger, there is also the possibility that she was influenced and controlled by the very domineering nature of her partner. In one of my very early episodes, I think it was The Springs House of Horrors, I do showcase the concept of battered woman syndrome. However, I cannot go further into detail and assume that this was the case with Rochelle as there is no evidence or testimony that she was the recipient of emotional, physical or sexual abuse at the hands of Stefan. It's just something to keep in mind when regarding these kinds of cases. Although some of the relatives of Siobhan also tried to step in multiple times, there is only so much that can be done in legal terms, at least. At the end of the day, Rochelle was still the legal guardian of the children and thus somehow consistently was able to maintain custody of them regardless of the fact that she was an unfit mother. And one just really needs to question the governing body and organizations in this regard if these reports were in fact actually made. And if there were no further actions taken to report this situation to higher authorities, one must also consider why this was the case. What comes to mind with this case in particular for me are the striking similarities between Siobhan and Poppy van der de I covered her case of neglect and ultimate death a year or two ago. Like Siobhan, Poppy was also neglected and physically abused by her mother's partner whilst her mother stood idly by. Like Siobhan, Poppy was rushed unresponsive and declared dead on arrival at the hospital. Like Siobhan, Poppy's little body was covered in bruises. And like Siobhan, both of Poppy's caregivers were ultimately arrested, charged and convicted for her murder. A psychological phenomenon which I discussed in that episode may also be pertinent here too. The phenomenon known as the bystander effect or bystander apathy is a social psychology theory that states individuals are less likely to offer help to a victim in distress when there are other people present. In the case of Poppy. Although teachers, doctors, and neighbors noticed what was happening, only one of them reported it. In the case of Siobhan, potentially more relatives and friends than the ones that did try to intervene could see something was not right, but did nothing. And unfortunately, by the time anyone tried to intervene, it was too little, too late. It is also pertinent to note here that it is actually illegal to be aware of child abuse or maltreatment and not report it. Just a little something to keep in mind. But it's not fair to only just point the finger at everyone else. When the perpetrator, Stefan felt confident to behave in the way in which he did. He knew that no one would stand up to him or challenge him. That in itself is the culmination of years of social programming and a massive societal issue that is constantly making the news. Essentially, the power dynamics at play within the GBV pandemic. More pertinent than ever, especially seeing as we've just entered 16 days of activism against gender-based violence. As I close this episode, it's evident that the concept of seeing something and saying something is relevant now more than ever. You and your actions, no matter how small, could be life-changing to the existence of someone else. You could be saving a life. Siobhan's memory and her bright light will forever live on in the hearts of those who knew and loved her. She will never be just another number. Until next week, stay safe, stay blessed, and stay the amazing human beings that I know each and every single one of you are. Bye!